Well, hello. Welcome back to Between the Lines, the podcast. I'm Jay Lind, and I'll be your host. This is episode 12 of the podcast, and the BTL Nation continues to expand like the universe. I can't tell you how much I appreciate all the people who are taking time out of their busy lives to listen to the podcast. It both humbles me and gives me hope for the future. I would also like to take a minute to give special thanks to all the people who listened to me yammer on and on last week about some of my recent challenges in recovery and the kind emails and texts that I received following the release of episode 11, uh, Face Everything and Recover, warmed my heart and definitely reminded me that I'm not alone. A few listeners even let me know that they have a slightly different take on the FEAR acronym that I was talking about. Uh, These are my two favorite ones that I heard. Uh, Face everything and rise, and false evidence appearing real. Both seem to be helpful ways to spin that uh, fear in your life, if you ask me. Anyway, if anyone else out there has been listening and learning, please remember to rate, review, and follow Between the Lines, the podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Click the five stars. That only takes a millisecond. Uh, and write a review if you have you know, 30 more seconds to spare. It makes a huge difference in how often the podcast gets suggested to other people who are looking for something to listen to. And if you'd like to help support my mission to spread kindness, positivity, and hope, please click the support the podcast link at the end of the episode notes. And if you have any questions, comments, or concerns about the podcast, or the book for that matter, or if you'd like to be a guest on a future episode, maybe, please drop me an email at betweenthelinesmemoir at gmail.com. But more important than any of that garbage, thank you all for listening today. This week, I'll be interviewing author Pamela Brinker. But before we get to that, this is the good news. The good news story this week comes from California, the Golden States, where Governor Gavin Newsom signed a law that will now allow victims of gun violence to sue gun manufacturers. Maybe hitting them right in the wallet will instigate the kind of change I'm hoping for anyway. A person can always hope, right? And that was the good news. Now let's get to the interview already. So my guest today is Pamela Brinker. Pamela is the author of the newly released book, Conscious Bravery, Caring for Someone with Addiction. Pamela and I kind of found each other through the social media recovery community, which I'm learning more and more about every day. Um, And as it turns out, both of us had just published and launched uh, recovery-based books. Mine, a memoir from an addict's point of view, and Pamela's book from the perspective of someone caring for addicts in her family, who happens to be a practicing psychotherapist with over 20 years of experience as well. And 
she's a terrific writer on top of all that. Uh, the complete package, one might say. Uh, and I think it's fair to say that our two books make a perfect pairing. Uh, in fact, I think if you read one, you almost have to read the other one. I think that would work out great for everyone. But if you are a loved one of an addict, um, as I am, uh, not just an addict, but also a loved one of uh, a few addicts, several addicts, I might say, um, and as Pamela is, then Conscious Bravery is definitely a must read. Pamela tells her sometimes difficult story with the kind of honesty, vulnerability, and compassion that's essential when discussing this disease um, and the multitude of ways that, in which it affects uh, the people closest to us. And although Pamela's personal experience is at the center of the book, it isn't a memoir in the conventional sense, I would say. Um, in some ways, it's, a, it's more of a textbook and a, or a guide for parents and other loved ones of addicts. It's loaded with clear, accessible, and practical advice from a qualified professional who's also been there. Uh, and often you get one or the other. Um, in this case, you get both. Um, and on top of it all, the book left me full of hope. And that's the real beauty of it, I think. And um, I know uh, how hard that can be when, when writing about um, something that can sometimes be very, very sad, very scary. Um, I'm just, you know, some hard stories in there, but that doesn't mean um, that there's no hope. And that's something I try to do in my book. And she definitely did it um, in Conscious Bravery. We will get into all of that in the interview, and you will see what I mean within minutes, uh, I'm sure of it. Also, as a fun fact, Pamela is a therapist and speaker and author, but she has also been known to spontaneously break into dance. And although I'm not a licensed mental health care provider, I do think that spontaneous dancing is an obvious symptom of an extremely healthy mindset. Anyway, enough of my jibber-jabber. Let me introduce you to Pamela. Welcome to the podcast, Pamela. How are you feeling today? Thank you so much, Jay. It's really a pleasure to meet you, be here with you, and I'm feeling great today. Thanks. Great. Thank you for coming on. Um, well, let me just start. This is, this is a, it seems like a really easy, simple question, but I know I know from my experience that it's difficult, but if you could give us like a general breakdown like of your uh, your history and your personal experience as a mother uh, of two sons suffering with addiction, right? Yes. About 12 years ago, my two sons' stepdad died from brain cancer. Mm. And as challenging as it was for all of us, I just didn't realize the pain they were going through, even though we were close. And one was only... 14 and a half and the other one was 17 and a half at the time and within a few months Jay they started using stimulants mm. and LSD and alcohol excessively and, and turning two substances as solutions for their pain and even though we were as I said tight and we talked about things and we were grieving together and I had my own pain I was struggling with Pretty soon, in short order, I, I could just tell they were really in trouble. And they were turning to one another together, but they were using drugs and alcohol together as well. So that's how it all started. And they've had varying bumps, but within four years, they became addicted to methamphetamines, mm. which is, you know, just, just a horrible, horrible 
type of drug. There's there's crystal meth and there, there's meth you can get prescribed and they were doing it all. And they were using all kinds of other substances too. So I found myself, this person that I had been a therapist for years and years and had gone into it to really help people, having to turn inward and use the tools and practices I'd walked alongside my clients with and taught them for years. I had to revamp them mm -hmm. and modify them and use them for myself. So yeah. that's, that's my story. Wow. I mean, um, that is like, that's a really tough age um, to, to have to go through such a loss like that. Uh, you know, I, I was a high school teacher for a long time, so I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of an expert in uh, you know, 14 to 17 year old uh, students and adolescents. And um, I also was once an adolescent boy. Um, you know, my dad died of brain cancer uh, at, and that, that set my addiction spiraling out of control. I was 40 and mm. it was really hard. Um, so, so sorry. yeah, I think that that's a, uh, yeah, pardon me, even though it's the past, I still feel the pain with you now. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Thankfully, I now I still feel it too, and I and 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 I want to feel it. I, I think it's important to feel it and to feel that the grief. Um, but I'm I've learned much better ways to cope with it uh, than cocaine now. Thankfully, um, and one way is talking about it. So this has helped me. Um, so that's really really hard. And and two of them. So you get and so they're like, in some ways, it sounds like like supporting each other but then enabling at the same time and they're teenagers and all those factors combined and then mom's a therapist right and uh <laughs> i can't i can imagine that like 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 you said now you got to put put this stuff to work um but that doesn't make it easy <laughs> you have all the, the education and, and expertise in the world and it, and um I, I mean it's still so so hard um but thankfully uh, you have that expertise and I think um based on what I'm reading in the book that that um that's what's got you to be here with a smile on your face even through all those struggles and so I think that that's pretty amazing um so I think that uh I guess before we get too into the, like the real details of the book tell me a little bit about the title so tell me where that title comes from conscious bravery to me I wanted to present a book that the book that I needed 12 years ago. Mm -hmm. It wasn't one body of knowledge about bravery or specifically about conscious bravery available at the time. And so back, you know, when all this was happening over a decade ago, I was just scrambling, reading things here and there, doing different kinds of therapies doing family therapy, attending events, going to support groups and things, but it was kind of scattered. Mm -hmm. And so that's how I began compiling this body of knowledge that I feel is so important. We need something accessible that's a protocol for how to be brave when we're incurring and, and dealing with all these devastations simultaneously, you know, death and loss and mental health issues, which both of my sons have had mm -hmm. and struggles with substance use and addictions. And so the title came about really, it, it kind of evolved over time. Initially, I wrote a different book that was called mm -hmm. Be Brave Now. <laughs> that is a, is a separate book that maybe I might end up doing something with that down the road, but but I wanted to bring Jay this consciousness and to your listeners, 
to me, consciousness is vibrant awakeness. Mm -hmm. It's being alive and activated no matter what's happening. Activated in a, in a proactive, aware state. So even during the harrowing circumstances, we're awake, we're tapped in, we're tuned into what's, what's happening in our bodies and what we're experiencing. And that's what the book is a lot about, how to be brave, how to have courage, during the tough times and to practice you know even when it's really really devastating we're practicing our bravery then but we practice it all the time we cultivate mm -hmm. it you know mm -hmm. to me, conscious bravery is a lot about that we're born with this innate capacity for bravery just like love or kindness or compassion or strength but it has to be developed we yes. have to learn to to work work at it. And just like when we're learning to play the piano or an instrument or developing in a sport like swimming, we're practicing so that we can do what's needed when we're in an event or under fire, as right. it were. So that's the consciousness to me. And for me, when I've walked alongside my sons who struggle in what I call the wilderness of addiction, mental health and neurodiversity, they've i've wanted to role model for them mm -hmm. that i can do it and that's where i feel a lot of parents and loved ones who walk alongside someone who has struggles with substance use or mental health we forget how important it is to take care of ourselves and be the role model that we want them to find in their lives you know Absolutely. So, I've got to live it. I've got to live it and be authentic. <laughs> yeah. And, I, and and one of the greatest, uh, I think, lessons there, and the same goes with like with Al-Anon and stuff like that, is really the steps are the same for the caregiver uh, uh, or a loved one of an addict than it is, as it is for the addict. And so you're not just modeling it for modeling's sake. It's taking care of yourself, like you said, and showing them. And you need it just as much as they do. Absolutely. So true. So if I were to sum up what, what my book, Conscious Bravery, is about, it's about knowing who I truly am, or for our listeners, knowing who we truly are. We're not our roles as a mother or father or teacher or um, an entrepreneur, or, or and we're not even our skills and talents. Those mm -hmm. are just things we do. We are this deep being, this essence, the human beingness you know, the beingness part of the human being. <laughs> That's right. And then the uh, second part of the book is really how do we cultivate that self-care? Because I had to do it. Yep. It was so rough uh, at times with all of the challenging. It it's not chaos. It's a, it's a life of chaos, you know, mm -hmm. yeah. um, on both sides of it. And, um, and I think that like the conscious part of it is really, uh, really struck me because in those moments as an addict or a loved one of an addict, like some of our instincts are going, shut it down, you know, shut it down, go lay, lay in your bed, close your eyes, go to sleep. Don't think about it. Don't address it. Don't confront it because that's hard. Um, so again, by cultivating that, that, that bravery and being aware and conscious of yourself in, in those moments, I think that really makes a difference. And, but you're right. It's not easy. Um, but it's possible, you know, I, I, I remember when my dad uh, first got sick, I sent an email to my friend saying, uh, all right, guys, I'm going to need your help because I'm not tough. I know everyone says like, well, you don't know what you can handle until it happens to you. I'm like, well, I do know I can't handle it. Um, mm -hmm. 
and I didn't do very well at handling it. But I also thought that the things that happened after that through my addiction, I can't handle this. I'm not tough enough to overcome this or to, to get into a healthy recovery. Um, I'm like, I, I see these other people in the room like they, they, they got it. I don't have it, but I have it. And I had no faith in myself in the beginning to be able to do it. And so that's one of the things I like to, you know, I want people to understand is that um, I'm sure that feeling that I had at the beginning isn't a, uh, an uncommon one. Like, I can't do this. Um, uh, maybe we I'm fake it for a little while. Oh, I'm so sorry. Pardon me. No. You know, I'm so glad you're talking about that because that's so honest. I feel like that's the challenge that you face as someone in recovery and that I continue to face as someone who wants to be to be healthier and have and guard my well-being and protect my happiness is learning how to handle discomfort you know becoming more comfortable with our discomfort and our overwhelm yes that's uh I I, I was thinking about that um that's one of the things there's like three big things I think in your book that are very similar messages and themes to some of the the uh what I've written in my book and one of those is that that uh you you write about being becoming comfortable with discomfort um in my book I, I i write about leaning into the discomfort it's like we're you know we're saying the same thing um but that is hard and i i i believe i, I really believe in that i think that that's how we learn that's how we get better is by doing the things that are uncomfortable for us um and and understand that's part part of our journey um but how do we do it? How do you become comfortable in your, in your words? I'm, I'm putting you on the spot here, but how do you, how does one become comfortable with discomfort? It's a great question. I believe initially we commit to it. We know that discomfort and overwhelm are going to happen. And yes, I love that you wrote about this as well. We know that it's going to happen and we get over our wish that it's not going to happen. We, we realize for me, for my part, I've realized that, okay, I used to feel like, oh, now I've got it all tidied up. Both of my sons are in recovery. It's going to be hunky dory going forward. And I would just want to like freeze frame everything and keep it that way. But that's really controlling. And that's not how life goes anyway, because right. change always happens. The unknown is coming toward us. And so I, I commit to being comfortable with discomfort. And, and when it arises and I'm uncomfortable and I use this whole continuum way of looking at it, I might notice, okay, I'm agitated or I'm frustrated or I'm downright angry or fearful. And I, I embrace it. I yeah. say, okay, wow, there's that, there's that feeling again. Oh, I'm so terrified. Okay, well, I, I know how to handle this. First, I stay with it. And I embrace it and I hold space for it. And I don't see it as unfamiliar. I say, I've felt this way lots and lots of times before. I hate this feeling. So I'm honest, but I, I hold it. I invite it really to stay because if we don't invite it to stay, we're just going to stuff it or yep. avoid it or deny it. And it's going to come back rearing its ugly head later. <laughs> yeah. So. And it's, it's a natural, normal thing. And uh, yeah, and you get, yeah, like you said, you can't, you can't escape it, you know, if you, even if, if it's temporary, maybe for, for the moment you can, but it doesn't go away. You know, whatever's making you, giving you that, making you uncomfortable is, is a thing in the world that is still there. Um, and I think it's really important. I mean, that's, I think that's, uh, that's key to just acknowledge those feelings. And also, I, I, I always just try to think of it, it's a learning moment. It's a learning, this is like a, like, like grief, like I, like, all these like things that are like negative feelings or emotions 
our chances to learn. Um, that's one way that I've like, you know, tried to spin it at least uh, in my head and, and, and it works for me. It helps me feel it's good. Powerful, Yeah. Powerful Jay and beautiful. And then those are the next, you mentioned making friends with our feelings almost. Mm -hmm. That's another step into becoming comfortable with discomfort. We befriend all of our feelings, right? Not just the happy ones or the sad or even the mad, which can be really comfortable for some people, for, for some of us, we might be really at ease when we're angry, we might feel more powerful then. But but we wanna be more comfortable with even shame or yes. despair and say, oh my gosh, here I am feeling absolute despair and and make friends with that and have compassion. If my message is anything, it's about compassion. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That, that's one of the other, the other things that, you know, I think our books have in common too. It's that compassion and empathy um, that, that is so important for yourself, right? You know, so my therapist is always reminding me, you know, like, you know, have some compassion for yourself. You know, in a meeting, this is a common AA thing too. You know, we'll, we'll I'll sit down with a guy who's doing like a fourth step and, talking about all these these um, these hard things that he, that he needs to make amends for and difficult things to talk about in his story. And uh, and I immediately, I have compassion for him and I forgive him and I understand. And, but I can't do that with myself, you know? And I think that's a, that's a big hurdle uh, for a lot of people uh, in, in general, but and certainly it's, it's more dangerous if you, if you can't get over it for, for an addict or alcoholic. So true. And I'm glad that you're aware of that because then you can, we can all, you can practice. I can practice. I have that same trouble. I can say, oh gosh, here I am being so hard on myself. Wow. Okay. This is where I become my own best friend. That's right. And my pain. And I say, I'm right here with you. And then I breathe into it consciously. So that's another part of how to manage and become more comfortable with discomfort is I breathe consciously into my experience. It might be my heart emotionally. It might be my body that's feeling that um, pain or fear. Sometimes we experience it on an intuitive level, right? And so we befriend these different zones of our experience, right? Mm -hmm. Talk about that if you like. But. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the uh, the breathing is is uh, is really important, and um, certainly in those really difficult moments um where it feels like the you know the the walls are are closing in um we I, I was lucky enough to learn a lot about that in my um experiences in in rehab uh centers um with the mindfulness and breathing um it's been very very helpful i had panic attacks and all that yeah. business um yeah. so one one other thing i wanted to talk about um is uh, you also mentioned, talk, talk, you talk about breaking free of generational patterns. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that, that that can have a lot of meanings um, as far as addiction is, is concerned. But what did you mean when you were talking about it in, in your book? Yes, and this ties in with what, what you were just speaking about with panic attacks and so forth. So when we become aware of our ancestry, we can know if you do a genogram or a diagram of your family, you know, your family map, anyone can notice, all right, this person took their own life. Oh, wow. This person on my other, my dad's side of the family took their own life as well. Oh, and this person had addiction or mental health challenges. And this person was an alcoholic and died from liver disease and liver failure at 53. So we start looking at our 
the reality of the DNA that with which we were encoded and and we notice patterns and cycles in just not our own lives but maybe our grandfather's life mm -hmm. our mom's life and it can be really life-giving for individuals to start to become aware that I can change this because that's what epigenetics is about. You know, epigenetics teaches us that we can override our programming. We right. can rewrite. That's the neurobiology that's new in the last, whatever, 15, 20 years, that it's not just our genetic code uh, that determines our lives. Our behaviors can change us. Yes. Consciously know what's happening and make different choices. And then we can change our environment. And it's so empowering to know this, that our loved ones, people like you, I can imagine if you were my son, mm -hmm. that, that if you are aware in the moment that you're about to have a panic attack, you can breathe consciously into your experience and say, okay, here, this is happening. I'm feeling so, so anxious. I'm starting to dissociate. I don't feel like I'm here or whatever your experience right. is. That happens to me sometimes. That's why that's how I describe it when I dissociate. Right. <laughs> I'm not feeling like I'm really right here. And so I just kick in with this practice that I've used over and over again in the calm moments and in the most harrowing circumstances when, you know, I thought my son was going to die from yes. a heart attack. And so I have this embedded in me, this capacity to breathe consciously. And so that's an example of the rewiring that can occur. I don't have to kick into having a panic attack. I can anchor down, put my bare feet on the ground. Mm -hmm. you know, right. Right here, right now, I'm breathing. Yes, <laughs> I think that's I think that's key. That's key. And it really is. I think that's something that it's a, uh, another sticking point for some people. It's like, oh, hey, well, this is just how I am, right? And I think that, you know, that's a that's not a productive uh, feeling, you know. Uh, it's not helpful. Um, I often think about it, and I've talked about this before too. But like heart disease in, in my family, there's heart disease on the, on the on my dad's side of the family, which is especially dangerous. Um, it doesn't mean just because my grandpa had a heart attack and my dad had heart issues that I'm going to. It means I'm at risk, right? I, there's a pattern there. There's a there. You know, there's something there in my genes that makes me at risk. But I can do things, right? Some of it is out of my control, I'm sure. But a lot of it is in my control. And there's things I can do. And the same goes for addiction. Uh, and obviously, I have two sons as well. And um, I think about that a lot. You know, I'm not the first addict in my family. Um, and uh, above all, they have a dad who's a drug addict. And uh, so their mom and I will have our eyes on them uh, trying to break that, that pattern as well. Um, and obviously that with addiction and alcoholism, it's very commonly a pattern uh, in families, generational pattern in families, but it doesn't mean, uh, so is violence and abuse uh, and things like that, but that doesn't mean that you, you have to be part of that pattern. Absolutely. Those are tools for coping that we've used, like violence or turning mm -hmm. to a substance or turning to a behavior. But we can, for me, for my part, I've had to find <laughs> more effective tools for coping. And they've got to be ones that just kick in instinctively. And so I practice them wholeheartedly all the time so that they yeah. can kick in when I need them. Um, all right. Well, here's there's a phrase in your book that I, this might be my my favorite phrase in the whole book that I wish I thought of it. Uh, you write that love is the fiercest force. 
um, I have this little saying, it's actually in a post-it right next to me right here, uh, to remind myself to lead with love. Mm-hmm. Uh, and anyway, so talk a little bit about, about that, about love being this, this strong force. Uh, and thank you for saying that. And you know, it resonates with you, I bet, Jay, because it's true for everyone around yeah, the yeah, right. planet. We all speak a universal language and it's love. We can feel love when we sense it or when we sent, when we're getting to know a new person mm-hmm. and it. we can see it in their eyes. We can feel it in their body language. And so to me, love is the fiercest force because love outlasts regret. It outlasts pain. It heals trauma. It's like a renewing elixir. Mm-hmm. We can move through fear and create new patterns and rewire because our commitment is love. So I commit to loving myself. I commit to loving you people Mm -hmm. I know who are struggling. And I have so much respect for anyone in recovery, for my sons, for for people around the planet. I just got off of a Zoom call with a friend in India. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We meditated together. And, you know, just this amazing love around the planet. That's that's really we have to find something that we know can heal. Yes. We yes. all know that we don't even have to go to the medical science and the research yes. to know that love can love heal. Love works. I mean, and that is a really hard thing for 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 you as a mom and um for the people that were around me in my worst moments. Um I will remember very clearly the times where I was being shown uh like genuine love by the by the people around me when I didn't feel like I deserved it and I thought you know this is the end of the world um you know some people you know they they they, they say the right things but there's other moments and people where I just knew oh god that was that felt better than anything else and in this moment where I feel the lowest you can be and helpless uh love it's the fiercest force you might say uh-huh. uh, so I really appreciate that Yes. Well, I can tell a quick story sure. of an example of it. Um, so, and I want to offer this because so many of your listeners may have been through situations like this, but one of the toughest times for my oldest son, who, by the way, is comfortable with me talking, both of my sons are, when I asked them, I was gonna ask, you yeah. write in the book, you had mentioned that before we talked, they both were like, I'm good. Right. <laughs> yeah, usually we all are like you know, if they've been you know to a bunch of meetings or rehab they've been telling their story plenty we, yeah. we get pretty comfortable with it <laughs> yes and so they're comfortable because i really tell my story yes that's true I just mentioned them i'm very protective i was very very consciously aware of making sure they shine and their tenacity mm-hmm. is highlighted but at any rate one time a few years ago when my oldest son was in between homes and he was living here temporarily. Uh, he had gone out the night before and I had suggested that he not just stay in, but he went anyway. And I just had a horrible feeling about it. Mm-hmm. Didn't hear from him, woke up uh, in the middle, call it the middle of the night. It was like 3 a.m. And I realized that his bedroom door was closed and I thought, oh my gosh, he's in there. So I go in and there's blood all over the sheet. Oh. It was it was just horrific. and. Um, I, I wanted to wake him up because I wanted to know if he was okay. So I did. And I said, but the first, the first response, Jay, was I felt anger. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right away, simultaneously to that was, was fear. Yes. But I felt anger because I felt powerless. 
And I hate that feeling of helplessness and powerlessness more than just about any other feeling. So then I want to kick into something that feels powerful to me. And sometimes that's anger, but I was aware of it, you know? And so I calmed myself with conscious breathing for a minute. And then I spoke to him and I said, Hey babe, Hey, it's mom. Are you okay? And he woke up and he said, yeah, police brought me here. My car out back. And I said, I don't know. And he said, um, I go, where, where do you hurt? What's going on? Because he had a big gash on his face. And that's what was causing most mm-hmm. of the blood. And uh, his hand was all bloody and it moved all over the bed. So that's why the sheets were all bloody. But, but this is the messiness of addiction and the chaos that you mentioned that happens. But, but really what happened was I was able to tap into love. Mm-hmm. I loved him so much. I loved myself so much that I didn't want to react. I wanted yes. to respond appropriately and to help him. And so I was just quiet again. And I said, hey, talk to me. And he said, I'm okay. I just, I just got in a fight. And he said, I need to go to rehab. And I said, okay. Big moment. Why don't you sleep longer? And when you're ready, we'll talk about it. Yeah. But that's an example of his ability to tell me what he needed because he had been battered down. And Mm -hmm. I knew his heart and mind had to be as as messed up as Mm -hmm. his mind. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Probably worse. Oh, gosh. So that, that compassion was what helped me that morning. Yeah, and the pause, it sounds like. Do you recognize the anger, that feeling, which is a normal feeling? You know, I, I, I'm sure if we had my mom here too, she'd tell you about the anger she felt several times. Sure, uh, sure. And, and so we but to, to recognize it and then pause, right? This is another really important thing I've learned in my journey is uh, just don't, hold on, You, I can have that feeling. I don't need to react with it. Uh, just pause. So I, I tell myself several times a day, also my, my kids are, young so I need a lot of pausing with, with them as well uh but to pause and then I've I, I realized later like oh what I would have said if I reacted then and then what I did say are so different and what I end up saying is the real thing that's the real thing what I my it's my initial reaction is not the real feeling or not the real what I want to say what I really think it's it's fueled by anger or guilt or whatever whatever it might be um and, and really, in the end, it's usually love. Like, you know, what, mm-hmm. behind my resentments are love. Behind all those things are love, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, and I think that's really important. So I, I, and I appreciate that story. Um, and those are the kind of stories, I think, that are in, in your book that... So obviously, I think the book is great for, mm-hmm. for, for people who are, are, are loved ones of addicts or taking care of addicts and their family. Um, but for people who aren't, I also think hearing these stories, people who don't understand it and don't know and don't have in their family, there's a lot to learn. This is some. This isn't like some tiny percentage of the population that's dealing with this. It's, you know, huge, huge uh, portion of us are, are either facing addiction or or are, are surrounded by people who are. Um, so I think getting those stories out, which is another part, uh, another big uh, ongoing theme through your book too, is like to destigmatize this. Um, so that we can talk about it, you know, because if it, it just stays, if it's if it's underground, if it's if it's uh, swept under the rug, if people refuse to have the lean into the discomfort and have the conversations, um, then it's going to be this dirty little secret. And um, 
but it, it can't, it, it, I mean, I think that to me, maybe that's the most important uh, part of what I'm trying to do is, is to destigmatize it and get, get it out in the open and get people talking about it and understanding um, and learning more of these stories. Same and bravo you for everything you're saying. Bravo you for pausing and for becoming aware of what you could have said and doing it differently. And yes, I'm all about breaking the stigma. And so for me, I want to become aware of my own addictions. And I see addiction on a continuum. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to to kind of debunk the word, or I'm not sure if that's the right way to put it, but but help us to all see that all of us are into something. We crave something, we use something or a behavior, a substance. It could be chocolate or it could be working out for some people or just sitting around sleeping or whatever. But um, to be aware of ourselves and use that pause that you spoke of and say, hey, this moment, I could go whatever, eat a ton of chocolate. I could go for a two hour run, but you know, maybe I'll, I'll pause and I'll breathe and I'll Go out in nature. Yes. I'll, I'll look at the sky and watch the leaves turn and I'll just connect with nature for a minute. So that's that's something that all of us can do. But the more it's so important to become aware of our tendencies and our inclinations to do the less healthy things yep. on the continuum. And that's that's part of breaking the stigma is to just talk more openly like you and I are doing. And yes. maybe our listeners will do after this with someone in their family or somebody they love to say, hey, what am I, what do I do that's kind of a craving or a compulsion? You know? Yeah. And I think it also has got I've I, I had uh I've had several conversations, you know, this week even with people who now are talking to me who are like have questions and maybe they're not addicts or alcoholics. Maybe they're kind of worried about themselves or maybe they're worried about someone in their family or maybe they just want to know more. And um, until uh, the book and the podcast, people, most people uh, really were hesitant to ask me about it. And I want to talk about it, but I don't want to bring it up to people. If they, I don't want to make them uncomfortable if they don't want to talk about it. So then I'm like, oh, now we, we all know that I just got back from rehab, <laughs> you know, uh, the big surprise that I'm a drug addict, nobody knew, and, and I got a free rehab, and, and everyone's like n- not talking about it. Um, but now it's, it's it's coming around, and people are talking about it in, in my little circle. I'm seeing it happen, and so obviously I think that it is happening in the bigger world as well. Um, but if we all work together, I think uh, it, it it's going to be you know this is the beginning of of something um, where it won't be that um, you know secret that everyone has in their family anymore. Right. And that and everybody has these secrets. And so the more we talk about them, the more we break the stigma. Plus, if we don't talk about it, who will? <laughs> right. It's already uncomfortable enough for us. Other people certainly want to avoid it. And so how will we change our treatment programs? How will we change the prison systems? And I am so so um, a bit, such a big believer in that those kinds of things have to happen. And you've been through lots of treatment programs. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Tons have been through treatment programs where they've actually heard the phrase, you're being kicked out. Yeah, I, that, that, I read that in the book. That is great. I mean, I know that that happens. And I know that definitely that all treatment centers are not equal. Unfortunately, uh, there's a big gap there, too. Um, and there's some terrible stories that, that, that make me really sad. Mm-hmm. But there are good things happening too, thankfully. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I've, had, I've had the greatest experience. Oh, I'm so glad. Well, my oldest son recently 
admitted to relapsing and he was not discharged, they said, hey, it's safe to tell us the truth. And they meant it. Mm -hmm. The program say, hey, tell us the truth. It's safe to tell us the truth. And then the second <laughs> tell them that you had a relapse. Yeah. Boom, we need yeah. you to move all your stuff out in an hour flat or two hours, which is just absolutely ridiculous because they say they're protecting their sacred community, you know, or their recovery, right. but they're not setting down uh, a, a standard for safety with honesty. Yeah, it, a, no trust there, you know. Right. And you've got to have trust. So I would love to see more treatment programs treat the 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 clients in the programs with respect to see. Yes to see the yous of the world, the my sons of the world as beings who are whole. You know, Jay, we're not broken. This is not a character flaw. This is a disease and a disorder. Yes. And, and the more we can frame it that way, the more we can have compassion and break the stigma and change programs and, and give people re rehab instead of punishment. Absolutely. I, I mean, that's, I mean, the, the amount of people who are, are, are in prison because of Substance abuse disorders um, is ridiculous, and certainly it counterproductive if you're if you're an addict and alcoholic going to prison um, is not the best thing <laughs> for you. It, I heard a statistic that it's sixty percent of people in prison are addicted. Yeah, 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 and, and yeah, and, and uh, you know, I know enough people who've been there to to know that uh, it's not it's not hard to get drugs in prison either, which is you know, also blows my mind. Um, but let's get to something positive and hopeful. Yes, yes. <laughs> let's get back to the hope. Like I remind myself. Talking about it, we could break it, but yeah. Yes. Um, so uh, I wanted to uh, get to that. I want to. I want to ask you one question. One of the final things that you write in the book. One of your final pieces of advice is to uh, to loved ones is to walk this path with gentleness, lightness, and focused hope. There's the hope I want to talk about. Um, so break that down a little bit. So tell me what, what do you what do you mean? Why why um, why do you why did you want to leave your reader with that thought? Because there is too much aggression in the world already. We're already too hard, and so we want to balance the the assertiveness with tenderness, and we want to walk with some lightness, not just on this heavy path. It is a very very harsh path and and it's rocky and we don't know where it's going but we want to bring some lightness to it and that's what I've done and that's what I know works because I've seen it in other young men and women in recovery other parents and loved ones who walk alongside them that that gentleness combines with the fierceness and so it's the yin and yang yeah you know? on this path we want to have the capacity to leap into action if needed or to sit and wait with patience and kindness yes. and see what presents itself. And so that that's the gentleness piece and the and sort of the lightness piece. Mm -hmm. the, other yeah. part, the other part to the lightness, Jay, is that we I've got to have a sense of humor. I mean, this is hard, 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 hard stuff. And yeah. I'm a pretty stressed person and I'm determined to protect my happiness. Yes. <laughs> so sometimes I'll I'll say things like, after my my son went to treatment that day, I turned to my husband and I before we washed the sheets, I go, "That's a lot of blood." Yeah, <laughs> yes, it's the gallows humor, you know. I, yeah. I think I may have I may have laughed harder in in rehab with uh you know in this group with you know thirty guys who are at the rock bottom of their lives 
I we I may have laughed more there than I than I have in any other <laughs> month of my life. Because um, it is kind of absurd. In the moment, we're all sitting around telling these stories, and it's, I mean, and you have to. And, and and I'm a firm believer in the healing power of of laughter. Um, yes, me I mean, too. And tricky. moving past this stuff, you know, moving past it and having. So to me, um, you're quoting me: "Walk this path with gentleness, lightness, and focus, hope." The focused hope is I have other things that I throw myself into mm -hmm. that keep me from over-focusing on my sons and their paths. You know, I have a lot of things that I love. I love writing and I love music and playing my ukulele and I love hiking and doing yoga and, and I love dancing. And I, so that's part of it too. I have meaning yeah. and meaning saves me. Yeah. You're like more than that, that one part of your life, you know? Uh, yeah. And I think the other, again, all these things you're saying, this was so great. And I think this is a great thing for people to hear. Everything you're saying is, a, it's like the same issues for the addict is, is the, the people who love us. Um, like those issues are the same ones that we deal with. And I think that that's a really powerful thing. Um, sadly, it means that part of our, my disease affects other people. Like, um, you know, I don't get lung cancer from my aunt who has lung cancer, you know, I, that it doesn't work. It doesn't go that way. Uh, it makes me sad. You know, I, I, I can get grief. It affects me in a negative way, but my symptoms, you know, go across the, the, the board to the other people around me. Um, and then that adds to guilt and shame, of course, too. But if we're talking about it and also, uh, if our loved ones are, are getting the same kind of help that we get and using the same strategies that, that we're trying to learn in, in recovery, then we can all be on the on that that gentle light path. Mm -hmm. Yes, well said. Um, thank you. Uh, so let me give you a chance to be an influencer. I, I did notice you have a way more social media uh, followers than than I do. Uh, not that I'm counting. Uh, so you're you're already a bit of an influencer, but there's some new ones here. So tell my audience. Um, about something that you're reading or watching or listening to that you think is worthy of a recommendation. I love Matt Carney. He's a musician and he is so conscious and he's buoyant. Uh, I've seen him in concert at uh, Chautauqua in Colorado. Is that right? No, no, not Chautauqua. It was, at Breck it was in Breckenridge. But anyway, he is just a really creative writer his lyrics are amazing his band is really just rocking and and i would say listen to some matt carney because he's great all right <laughs> so like upbeat fun kind of yes. like buoyant I, that's a great uh, adjective for for music i like that mm -hmm. um all right i will definitely check it out and i'll put that in the notes for the show if anyone else wants to check it out too um all right. The last bit before we end the interview, I always like to um, bring everything back to gratitude, which is another thing you you talk about in the book, of course, and it's a big part of everybody's recovery. And it's a tenth step in the, of the twelve steps, and um, it's important. I try to do it first thing in the morning and last thing before I go to bed, at least to think about something I'm grateful for. You say in the book that it's gratitude is absolutely essential. Again, we agree. Um, so tell us something that you are grateful for today. Today, I'm grateful for what just happened. I'm grateful that I can breathe. I'm grateful that I can see and I can hear. I can see colors. I can hear sounds. So I'm grateful through things, not necessarily for things. Right. 
David Stendelrest said that and I love him. But I, I believe that I, so I do gratitude prayers in the morning and at night as well, like you. Mm-hmm. I try to just say, hey, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for what is. Thank you for everything. Thank you that I can breathe. Mm-hmm. For this moment and everything everything that comes with it. That's yeah. great. Well, I'm going to keep my gratitude short and sweet. It's an easy one for me today because tomorrow uh, my sons come back from a little vacation with their mom. Um, so uh, I've been missing them like crazy. So uh, I'm not so grateful for the rest of uh, one 24 hours until I get to see them, but I'm very grateful that, that it's finally coming and I'm going to get to see them <laughs> and, and uh, smother them with, with love um, tomorrow. Uh, and then I'll kind of, then I'll probably hope they go on vacation again shortly thereafter, but at least for the moment, <laughs> uh, I really, really miss them. So I'm grateful they're coming home tomorrow. Um well, that's going to just about do it for the interview. Uh, I really, really enjoyed our conversation. And I know that my audience um, will appreciate all the wisdom you just shared with us. And I think maybe, you know, more than any other episode, this one feels to me like the most useful, informative to have the, the, the two sides uh, of, the, of, of what happens to, uh, on both sides of addiction. And... Um, and I really feel like if people, if we continue to put this message out there um, in any way that we can, then uh, it's going to make a big difference. And you're, you're doing your part, that's for sure. I think that um, you're going to see a bunch of my uh, audience getting right on Amazon and buying Conscious Bravery, caring for someone with addiction. Um, I, I, I think it's an amazing book. I can't wait. My mom got it. She's, she's on vacation too, but I, I brought it into her house. So I know she has it. Uh, I can't wait for her to read it. Uh, I wish everyone in my family uh, could have read it a couple years ago. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And that's really part of why um, I appreciate partnering with you because you're right. If I can read stuff that tells me about your experience and if you can read stuff that helps you understand mine, then there's this synergy between us. And so for our listeners, we want to understand both both sides in this wilderness and we're in it together none of us are in it alone absolutely i like how you call it in this wilderness that's great that's a good one to end on thank you so much pamela for taking the time to be a guest on the podcast today it's my pleasure all right now it's time for some thank yous and goodbyes First of all, thanks again to Pamela Brinker for coming on the show today and dropping some knowledge on all of us. I most definitely learned a thing or two from Pamela today. If you too learned something or enjoyed what you heard, be sure to rate, review, and follow the podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And click the support the podcast link if you're feeling it. There is also a link at the end of the notes uh, that will allow you to leave me a voice message. If you click that link, you can leave me a comment or a question, and I'd be happy to answer it on the podcast with your consent, of course. Or if you're more comfortable with email, feel free to drop me a note at Between the Lines Memoir at gmail.com. Or just spread the word the old fashioned way. Tell a friend if you have one or tell two friends if you're like the most popular kid in the block. But most of all, thanks for listening today. And in the wise, wise words of my Uncle Dave, 
keep it simple, be humble, and hope for the best. See ya.